Wednesday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Well, I've been telling you about a brand new book uh, that I find fascinating. It's called Esther in America. It is edited by Rabbi Dr. Stuart W. Halpern. It is a Yeshiva University Press Magid, uh, which is, of course, part of Koren Publishers, Magid release. You can get information at magidbooks.com. Again, it's called Esther in America, perfect for this time of year as we are... Um, how many days away from Tanis Esther? Eight days away, right? Yeah, eight days away from Tanis Esther, and I guess eight and a half days away from Megillah Esther. And um, it's a fascinating book. It's really amazing how all these centuries later, so many people in American history and in so many different historical situations have leaned on the on the uh, career of Esther Hamalka, Queen Esther. Really amazing. Rabbi Dr. Stuart W. Halpern is Senior Advisor to the Provost and Senior Program Officer of the Strauss Center for Torah and Western Thought at Yeshiva University. He has edited or co-edited 17 books, including one we spoke about recently, uh, Proclaim Liberty Throughout the Land, the Hebrew Bible, in the United States. He teaches in Yeshiva University, synagogues, Hillel's, and adult educational settings around the U.S., Europe, and Israel. And as we said, the brand new book, Esther in America, a Magid Books Yeshiva University release. Go to magidbooks.com. Rabbi Dr. Stuart W. Halpern, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. And uh, just Stu is fine. Stom Stu. <laughs> I appreciate that as well. Um, it, it, but so, it, it's so many thoughts uh, since I've gone through the book, so many things that uh, I, I learned from it. The the first is we have this we 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 have this forgetfulness when it comes to the actual um, uh, uh, actual um, uh, uh, events that took place to get Esther into the situation that she was in. My point being that we uh, generally look at the characters in the Purim story. In a lighthearted manner, even the serious ones, we you know seem to have this lighthearted approach. I guess because of the nature of the holiday uh, and the way it's been observed since the Purim story actually took place, but we forget just how serious a situation a young Jewish girl like Esther was in, um, being in the palace of the king under those circumstances. It's it's one of the things, frankly, that your book reminded me of. Yes, I think that, that exactly the point that you mentioned, this idea that Esther is really in a fraught position. Things are very dangerous at the time, dangerous for her people, of course, and dangerous for her personally. Um, and it reminds me of one of my, uh, what I think is one of the more impactful parts of the book, namely the story of how during the abolitionist movement in America, uh, figures including Sojourner Truth, the famous uh, women's rights activist and abolitionist, wore the mantle of Esther in advocating for our own people. Um, and uh, we have a bit in the book about how during a pivotal women's rights rally in New York City, uh, where Sojourner Truth was a keynote speaker, and there were thousands of people assembled to advocate against slavery and for women's rights, and there were disruptors who came. There was a, literally a mob who came to disrupt this women's rights convention, and so many disruptors had showed up that history dubbed what happened that day the mob convention. And Sojourner Truth came to the podium amidst the hisses and howls of all those trying to disrupt her speech and her cause. And of all the things she could have spoken about, all the images she could have invoked, what she chose to evoke was the story of Esther. 
And she summarized the book of Esther and said, just as Esther went before the king, and Esther was risking her life to go before Ahasuerus to save her people, I, Sojourner Truth, am going before the president of the United States to argue for my cause. Yeah, you know, and and what you just described is is repeated. That may be the wrong word, but is is certainly acted upon or acted out in so many other circumstances in American history and really the history of the world. There are a lot of very interesting women who did a lot of very interesting things and were involved in a lot of interesting circumstances in the Bible. Um, and there are many interesting men as well. And there are biblical figures, whether it be Abraham or Moses, there are biblical figures that do come to the fore during specific types of situations over the last many centuries. But Esther seems to just be cited so often. Why is that? What is the fascination with her? So I think Esther sends a unique uh, inflection point in that she's trying to blend in and yet is always going to be different. She is a heroine to people who feel torn between universality and particularity. And so I think particularly for us as diaspora Jews, uh, as well as Jews outside of the land of Israel, there is something in Esther that resonates. So there's a chapter in the book about how Esther was a heroine to crypto-Jews, to Muranos, who were hiding their Jewish identity and needed someone to literally worship as a saint and Mm -hmm. someone to connect to and so they felt Esther was, was Saint Esther. No, nope. she too, like them, had her hidden identity. Nobody, nobody hid their identity as famously as she did. Simple as that. I mean, exactly. She, the, the most, exactly. The most famous hiding of an identity uh, by a prominent Jew in history. Um, exactly. The um, the there are a couple of passages in the Megillah that are quoted so often, far more than than anything else in the Megillah. And I noticed that as your scholars in this in this book, you know, I mean, you have a compilation of some amazing names that have written, you know, from different angles about the topic of Esther in America. Um, many of them quote what I have to assume is the most famous pasuk, the most famous passage in the Megillah, and that's where Mordechai, you know, says to Esther that you know if you if you think that uh, you know ignoring the situation is going to save your life, you're wrong and. And if you uh, and and if you don't act now, someone else is going to be responsible for the salvation. But you and your family are going to be destroyed. W- would you agree with me that that is likely the most referenced passage of the Megillah? Uh, definitely, absolutely. I mean, there's a great chapter by my beloved colleague and friend, Rabbi Dr. Mayor Salvechik, about Lincoln's uh, Esther moment and how President Lincoln was approached by a pastor from Chicago, which coincidentally enough happens to be his hometown. Uh, and William Weston Patton, the clergyman, showed up before Lincoln, and he wanted to argue for Lincoln to release the Emancipation Proclamation, for him to free the slaves. And just like Sojourner Truth, of all the things he could have said, all the cases he could have made, right. he chose to give a Dvar Torah about Esther, which ended with the punchline of exactly the line that you quoted. Who knows if not for this moment that you came to this position of authority? Right. And it's your destiny to free the slaves and save the nation. And so over and over again, characters in American history have their Esther moments. Now, if you'll indulge me, can I tell you about a bit of a humorous one that yeah. I think is a particular favorite of mine? Please. Please. So, so uh, there's a character. So we've been talking a lot about Esther. And, of course, the other, the sort of uh, number two uh, character in the story, Mordechai, or, or 1A, uh, also shows up in American history uh, in one of my favorite historical footnotes. So there's a figure, I don't know if you've heard of him before, Mordechai Manuel Noah. Yeah, Mordecai sure. Manuel is right. this 
fascinating, endlessly fascinating figure who, uh, in the first third of the 19th century, was arguably the most famous Jew of his time. He was a playwright. He was a sheriff. He was a uh, a writer. He was an ambassador who had actually been stripped of his position in government over accusations that he couldn't do his job while being a Jew. And he wanted to found a homeland for the Jews outside of the land of Israel. So we're talking 100-plus years before 1948. He said the Jews must have a homeland. And where would this homeland be? It should be in upstate New York, near Buffalo, on an island called Grand Island. This was Mordechai Emanuel Noah's plan. Uh-huh. And he got a wealthy friend of his to buy an island. He named it, he loved his own biblically-infused name, Mordechai Emanuel Noah, so he named the island Ararat after the mountain range that Noah's Ark landed on after the flood. He actually had commissioned a boat that he named Noah's Ark, and he put on the boat uh, animals and, and Native Americans, Indians. Why? Because he felt, and, and others at the time felt, including briefly Thomas Jefferson, that the Native Americans were the ten lost tribes of Israel. Wow. And Mordechai Emanuel Noah's plan was to reunite uh, the Native Americans with the Jews of Europe and American Jews, and they would all presumably sing Achenu Kobe Yisrael et Shalashit together, <laughs> and they would live on Grand Island, on Ararat. Uh, and he launched this very inauspiciously, this whole initiative, this whole plan, in an Episcopal church, because that was the only place big enough for the opening ceremony. And he wore a costume borrowed from a Shakespearean production. And so this, the end was about as good as the start. The plan led nowhere. And it was all for naught. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because his first name was Mordechai. His mission in life was to somehow protect the Jews, create some safe haven for Jews outside of the land of Israel, Mm -hmm. just like Mordechai in the book of Esther. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not making up this comparison. Actually, in his own time, Mordechai Emanuel Noah was called out for being the Mordechai of his age. What do I mean? There was a Moschilic, an Enlightenment writer in Europe, who criticized Mordechai Manuel Noah's plan. And he wrote in a journal, punning off of Chazal, the rabbi's uh, drasha, based on the end of the book of Esther, where it says, Mordechai was ratsoi lerov echav. He was accepted seemingly by most of his brethren, but not all of his brethren. Mm-hmm. The writer said about Mordechai Manuel Noah, this Mordechai is ratsoi lo lerov echav, echav. Not to many of his brethren, not even to a little bit of his brethren. No one should listen to this guy. Wow. Interesting. And so he he really embodied this this is this a, a a quixotic quest to build a safe haven for Jews outside of the land of Israel and is it something that will be accepted? So this is something that is reflected, of course, in the perm story and in the life of Mordechai Emanuel Noah. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, Stu Halpern, Rabbi Doctor Stuart Halpern's with us, editor of uh, Esther in America. It's funny, and I wanted to mention earlier, and I it, it had slipped my mind, but it's funny every time Truman has a Jewish friend. Lincoln has a Jewish doctor. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jared Kushner goes to the White House. Every time there is any type of situation where a Jew has some type of association with power, and I would bet it's in other countries as well, always the comparison mm-hmm. is Esther. Of all the figures in Jewish history, it's always a comparison to Esther. Yes, it, uh, it's so funny you said it, because when I was ramping up the plans for this book, someone said to me, so are you going to have a whole chapter about Ivanka? I said, <laughs> no, I don't. You know, that's not that's not really my plan. Um, but we do have a fascinating uh, a chapter by a good friend of mine, Dr. Tevi Troy, who's a renowned presidential historian, and uh, he give, gives a great review of how political figures, as you mentioned, 
uh, were compared, either evoked them, they compared themselves or were compared to characters from the Book of Esther. So ironically, for example, um, Monica Lewinsky right. compared to Esther. Right. And Hillary Clinton said her favorite biblical heroine was Esther, which right. is a little jarring right. uh, to be juxtaposed next to each other. Um, but but um, former President Trump had been compared by, by Pompeo to Esther when he was defending Israel. Bibi uh, notoriously gave a copy of uh, the Megillah to Obama uh, in the midst of the Iran negotiations, reminding Obama, President Obama that uh, before uh, this time, Israel had to, or the Jewish people had to defend themselves against a Persian enemy. Uh, and so this keeps coming up again and again. And in Tevi's chapter, he actually traces how first ladies, as unelected but potentially influential and impactful uh, leaders in government, uh, are, are, are bear some striking similarities to Esther and the political, political maneuverings that she had to negotiate. Yeah, unbelievable. I, I, I forgot some of those that you just mentioned, and it doesn't have to be a woman, by the way. There are, there, are, there are plenty of male Esthers as well that people cite, as, and you just mentioned some of them in this conversation. By the way, I have to tell you something that I learned from your book, and I, I don't know if you, I, I'm no scholar, so you could tell me that, you know, if this is, you know, an illegitimate reading, but People don't realize how dangerous a situation Esther was in. People don't realize how precarious a situation she was in. People don't realize the the um, the danger that Mordechai, frankly, was putting her in, sending her to the yeah. palace. And frankly, it made me think, and again, this is a stretch and just a thought. This is not, you know, I'm no scholar, as I say. But it made me think that I don't know if someone with parents would have gone this route. Mm. I don't know if a mother mm. and father would have sent or agreed to send their daughter into this type of situation. This is not a criticism of Mordechai. I get the right. I get the seriousness and the urgency of the of the time. I get it. Right. But right. I but I don't know if if a if a you know a mom or dad would have sent their daughter into this situation. He again I'm sure he was very hesitant, obviously, but felt that there was no choice and was able to pull the trigger on it. So I think it's fascinating that you point that out. Just hearing you hearing you uh, frame it in those terms, it reminds you of you know could this be almost like an an Akedah 2.0, you know, with Mordechai playing the role of Avram and Esther being asked to be Yitzchak and saying, wow. effectively, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, but this is a risk we need to take. Wow, interesting. There you have it. Um, I assume the book is readily available. People can go to the absolutely the Magid Books website would be the best place. Yes, and wherever, you know, if, if you're able to socially distant, uh, visit a bookstore, it No Sfarm sale this year, huh? No. <laughs> if, there, if there was, I bet you this would be a big seller, frankly. Well, thank you so much. Lashana Haba. Yeah, Lashana Haba is right. I guess it's always evergreen when we have Purim each and every year. The book is called Esther in America by Dr. Stuart W. Halpern, edits it. Uh, he is the um, uh, senior program officer to Strauss Center for Torah and Western Thought at Yeshiva University. I'm highly recommending this book. Learned a tremendous amount. And uh, just to, for those of you who, uh, it, it seems that uh, every year um, we find more and more publications that give us more and more insight into the Megillah and into these personalities of the Purim story. And this one uh, falls right into that category. So everyone get it and enjoy. It's called Esther in America. Stu, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Happy Purim to you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. Appreciate that. Wednesday morning broadcast. Plenty more coming up at JM in the AM.